0: Always to be humble but not timid.
1: Hey everyone, I am Rish and welcome to Inspired, the podcast, the community featuring inspiring people across numerous disciplines with passion to share their wisdom with us. In each episode, I will have insightful and fun conversations with inspiring people on their professional journey, their successes struggles, lessons learned, and much more. I'm super excited about today's episode as our guest for today is Andrew Gu, Senior Vice President, Chief Digital and Data Officer at Staples Canada, where he's currently leading the data-driven omnichannel strategy and the digital customer experience and fulfillment for B2C and B2B channels. Andrew has a wealth of experience in successfully leading digital products and strategy, building analytical teams, and helping business win and scale with his leadership in multiple areas of the business. Thank you so much for joining us today, Andrew, and I'm delighted to have you on Inspire today.
0: Thanks, Rish. I'm really happy to be a part of Inspire today and uh, caught your earlier episodes. Uh, hopefully I'll be able to provide some insights for your, for your listeners as well, but also happy to l- looking forward to learning from you.
1: Thank you so much. So, Andrew, today we will be discussing your career journey building digital and analytics products and strategy, and also about building high-performance teams. But before I start, I would love to first start with your career journey. I believe you started your career with Aliquin and held various roles there, including setting up operations in India and to now heading multiple portfolios at Staples Canada. So could you share about your incredible 20 year of journey?
0: Yeah, no, happy to. It's a, it's one I don't think traditionally you could have plotted out, and, and I had no idea it would have evolved this way. If I think back, you know, I did an undergrad in business, and at the time I was thinking why I entered university, thinking think I was going to be an accountant, so that that, that didn't happen. Um, and when I was finishing undergrad, I was thinking, do I want to go consulting or marketing? And I did, did a bunch of informational interviews, just kind of like how you and I first spent, just talking and just getting some insights, like, You know, trying to leave a good impression, trying to understand, like, some tips maybe, and maybe know someone else I could speak to. And through a number of these kind of meetings, I ended up getting a call back from Harlequin, as you mentioned, which is the world's largest publisher of women's fiction. And they had a role opening in a, they had a children's education group, and uh, it was a subscription business. And this is well before, you know, the online subscriptions get a box at your door. This is direct mail. We bought mailing lists, and we sent it out. And we would wait. You know, if you think about A-B testing today, you know, change a banner on a website and in a few hours, I'll know whether or not that was successful or not. We buy mailing lists and we would do uh, direct mail creative and we'd wait for months to get enough responses back to understand, ooh, that creative worked better than the other. Um, so I cut my teeth on that running as the subscription program. Uh, it was really fun. Children's products. I have two kids today and Unfortunately, I didn't save enough of the products back then. Um, And from there, there was a chance that was opened in Harlequin's overseas department. And so ninety-eight percent of Harlequin's revenues is outside of Canada. So there's a big overseas presence. And my job was essentially to assess new markets to determine whether or not we could further expand the romance empire. Uh, they were already in over 27 languages in over 114 countries around the world. So finding new ones was a little bit tough. But we, we found a few opportunities in Eastern Europe, uh, as well as in Asia. And I spent a lot of time trying to figure out China, meeting state-owned enterprises, trying to negotiate with them, uh, convincing them that you can make profit. But they kept on winking and asking for ice wine, which wasn't so cool. Uh, so we, we kind of switched gears and we looked at India. And so this would have been 2007. So burgeoning middle class, you had a lot of modern retail happening, and it was really a lot of excitement. Uh, for those of your listeners who are familiar with Indian conglomerates, we got to meet like the, the teams from Reliance. They were launching Reliance Fresh Stores, Aditya Birla was launching their More stores. I met the, the Pentaloons group that were launching big bazaars, as well as the, the, the actual book retailers like Landmark and, and Crosswords and Oxford. And we thought, hey, you know, there's something here. And uh, I was appointed to go lead that initiative, um, thankfully. And uh, so that was somewhat of my, my, my sister always says the TSN turning point in my career. So I packed up, I had finished my MBA, which I had been doing part-time and moved to the UK briefly to use as my staging point. And then I moved to India, um, you know, as many of your listeners may know. And as we discussed, like it's a different world there and you just, you need to be close to the action. And so within 11 months, we had found a great partner for distribution, the Living Media Group, uh, so the India Today Group. Um, we set up printing offices. I, I set up an office in Mumbai. I set an office in Delhi. Um, we had national distribution and we ran the business and it was, it was a lot of fun. It was pretty, pretty, People uh, think about retail today and think about point of purchase and racking. We were thinking about how can you protect books and display the books uh, when you're selling at magazine wallets who are just like, have like carpet or a tarp on the ground and you could be hanging off a tree or an umbrella. So it's different kind of challenges. In 2008, global uh, financial crisis, things kind of slowed down. We still kind of, we use partners because delivery was so cheap there. We could do e-com deliveries even before there was really e-com. And, and so that was a lot of fun. So I did that for a couple of years came back to Canada, did more m work. We bought out our partner in Germany, launched a new licensed business in Thailand and in Russia. And then I switched focus to go uh, look at North American strategy for retail. And at that time, you know, there's a small company out of, uh, uh, out west in the U.S. called Amazon. They were just uh, coming of age and taking out uh, borders. That I think that was one of their first brick and mortar uh, victims, uh, ultimately would not be their last. but um we were coming up with a strategy how do you partner with malmart and target to kind of control our foothold and it was kind of at that time that harlequin was still owned by Torstar. and for those of your listeners who don't aren't familiar Torstar at the time was a broadly based media group publicly traded company they had acquired a business called insurance hotline and they were looking for a new leader for it and so they tapped me and i said oh i've never run a fully complete end-to-end digital operation with engineers product teams, uh, marketing, sales teams, the whole, the whole thing. And I thought this is kind of interesting, but you know, part of me was leaving the wonderful world of romance to this eye, eyebrow raising industry of insurance. But I thought, Hey, you know what, let, let, let's give this a go. Let, let, let's naturally a very curious individual. And the notion of you know running my own PL again, and learning about an, a, a totally digital native company, I said, yeah, let, let's do this. And it was great. You know, when you think about how shoppers are today, right? If you're, you go online, you go to Google, maybe Amazon, if you're looking for something, if you want cheap insurance rates, we, 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 we were there, right? We help customers save money on car insurance and home insurance. And I thought, wow, this, this online lead gen model is so great. We should expand it. But the name as insurancehotline.com became so prohibitive. So we looked at buying a few other companies in the Canadian space. Uh, and we end up opting to launch our own. So we launched another company on an online business. It was in eight months from idea to in-market. We had a fully functional site that lets you compare and get quotes for mortgages, insurance, credit cards, GICs. And I set it up as a platform that you could eventually shop for uh, cell phone plans, internet plans, but just keep on growing and growing and growing. Um, if those are familiar with UK online businesses, Money Supermarket is who I was trying to copy. And uh, it worked really well, so well that a private equity firm came knocking. They wanted to consolidate the Canadian marketplace. So I facilitated the transaction there. And then Torstar said, I'm not done with you. And they pushed me to an area called Torstar Digital, where again Torstar's biggest properties were the toronto star and the daily newspaper canada's largest daily newspaper but they have acquired a bunch of digital companies throughout their time including a daily deal site coupon site a flyer site an online travel agency and many more so i managed the portfolio of commerce sites again soup to nuts from engineering products sales marketing and it was interesting because we built it into more of a matrix model uh, managing the different teams, different technology. You know, we went from, uh, we were one of the first to go on Ruby and like t- getting our d- dev teams kind of rethink and re-engineer common platform and microservices before it was really popular. Like this is, this would have been the 2012, maybe. So moving towards that direction, uh, ultimately Torstar decided to shut down Torstar digital. And I moved to Metroland, another one of their, their groups. And I picked up more digital, uh, uh, businesses to manage. and then uh, did that for a little bit longer and then uh, got tapped to come to report to the CEO and manage corporate strategy and data right and thinking through if you think about Torstar across all their newspapers, dailies and community papers, that's a good 50 websites. 50 websites of first party data. Anyone who's into data and marketing should be drooling about what the signals and what people were telling us and what you could build. truthfully at the time we weren't monetizing it or consolidating it so we put together the plan and then we we built that um and then as we were executing uh life took another turn and i was approached to join home depot and at the time uh you know our our times never crossed at home depot but uh home depot uh was a great organization continues to be an amazing organization truthfully um, the last time I worked in retail was in university selling clothes at Yorkdale, you know, uh, and, uh, but I took the leap, um, and building on the fundamentals, oddly enough from that I learned in these small acquisitions at Torstar to an enterprise level e-com player. And so we grew in the four years I was at e uh, at Home Depot, Forex, uh, in terms of the top line sales. I started with. A small team of 30 on e-commerce uh, at uh, Home Depot. Six months later, we added analytics and data to my portfolio. Six months later, we added digital marketing, and then six months later, we added the rest of uh, like advertising, including television, radio, and the beloved flyers. Um, but it was a really great time on the analytics side. You know, we partnered with great individuals. Uh, one, I'm fortunate to still work with today at Staples, Omer Hawk. He's an incredible. Uh, visionary in the space. We re-engineered and looked at infrastructure, built things up, like pooled it into a common data lake, add data engineers to clean up the data, then added in a layer of data scientists to really unlock and can make those meaningful connections for automation uh, towards enabling better and more relevant marketing. But, you know, the team under Omera's leadership went even further and started helping solutions for supply chain and merchandising. And it was really fantastic. And, and building bridges with IT as well, which yeah, I think that's where your home was. Um, then you, you, you fast forward in the marketing side, we, we parted ways with most of our agencies and brought the work in-house, uh, which was a really great enabler for us to work more nimbly, and we were able to leverage that data, go into first-of-its-kind pilot projects with Google and Facebook, uh, and really drive up the ROI and return our spend. So it was a really fantastic time at uh, Home Depot. And then it was at that point, Oddly enough, where I wasn't thinking to leave and definitely never thinking to leave for a, a FI, but chance would have it that I met uh, someone at TD and they had approached me. We, had, we, we met at a Facebook conference actually, and uh, they followed up and asked me if I'd be interested in this unique role that they were trying to do, uh, being the CMO for TD insurance, which runs as a separate uh, entity because of the bank act. And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully she doesn't listen but she knows and I, I kind of said no and I said it's not you it's like one of those relationship things maybe from Harlequin I said it's not you it's me I just don't really see myself at a bank and uh, you know many conversations later uh, both with uh, people I trusted and mentors at Home Depot as well as uh, at TD met some amazing people there their commitment to the community to diversity equity and inclusion like I I have learned so much, and I hold them with the highest esteem on that side. Um, so I thought, you know, let, let's take a, let's take a take a lunch. Uh, you know, curious again. You know, the, the big banks in Canada run so much um, and are so influential, both from uh, many people's careers to community. I thought, let, let's 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 go, let's find out. And so I ended up uh, taking that that role. Um, During COVID, which is a very sad goodbye to my team at Home Depot over Webex, to, uh, to a welcome Webex call at TD. And we did some amazing things with TD insurance during the pandemic. We were able to grow to record profit levels and record growth. We launched new product lines and we fundamentally really captured the momentum from COVID to move to a more digital bias, and also just to move faster, which isn't always the case at you know, what people would think of at a, at a traditional uh, financial institution, like at one is as, as large as TD. But it was a great, great adventure there. And I spent about almost a year and a half there, never had a pass card, uh, never worked a day in the towers, never never had to pay for over expensive parking uh, downtown. And, uh, you know, I, I, we've never met in person, but I'm, I'm six foot three. So no one on my team knew until after I left, when I had the chance to meet some of them, knew that I was really tall, because all you see for a year and a half is just web calls. And so uh, it was a great adventure there, lots of great relationships, and and, and I feel we we made a lot of good impact because of the the quality of the team and the vision and some of the amazing leaders there. Um, But then I was approached by this other opportunity to join the Staples transformation. And for those of you who, who, who aren't familiar with Staples Transformation, the, the quick highlight of it is, you know, Staples is a, this is its 31st year in Canada. It was originally a subsidiary of Staples U.S. Uh, about four years ago, Staples U.S. public company tried to buy Office Depot in the U.S. Federal regulators in the U.S. prevented the sale. And from that point, you um, Uh, A private equity group called Sycamore Partners uh, acquired Staples, delisted the company, carved it up, emancipated Canada, uh, and started investing heavily in the Canadian marketplace, more so breaking the, the trend lines of all the three decades before, and it's been an amazing transformation from a warehouse that sold paper and office supplies to the working and learning company. So we've had massive investments in supply chain, on the digital transformation side, we were one of the first enterprise partners to go on uh, Shopify Plus's um, uh, B2B, pla- uh, their enterprise platform. Uh, we have been investing heavily in data. Uh, with my onboarding, we, we decided to be more declarative. Um, so hence the chief digital and data officer role. So in, in my current role, we stand, I'm I responsible for four areas. So we have our e-commerce platforms, uh, whether it's Uh, staples.ca staplesprefer.ca for our small businesses or eway.ca for our enterprise clients Uh, I'm also responsible for our b2b small business which is called staples preferred so we we have over 400,000 members in Canada growing to probably over 600,000 by the end of the year Um, I'm also responsible for data so with the privilege of getting again to work with Omer to set up enterprise analytics and data science and helping to enable that kind of thinking everyone really talks about data right like hey data is going to transform but how do you actually take that and bring it to life so getting to work with uh, omer on that is great and then the last area that's also within my portfolio is supply chain so i run supply chain uh, across the country from all our fulfillment centers our import dcs our fleet of trucks our transportation partners as well as uh, all our contact centers for canada and we've got agents here uh, in Canada itself, as well as in Morocco and the Philippines. Um, so it's the, the opportunity to be part of this transformation for this iconic brand as we continue to evolve and determine and set ourselves and help businesses and customers and teachers a- uh, and, and so much more uh, redefine this brand has been really exciting. And so I left TD with a heavy heart because I felt like I hadn't really Fully given it like i never even worked a full day wearing a suit uh and uh and here we are uh, at staples today but uh, that's been kind of my journey part a little bit longer but uh um but yeah
1: it's, well, uh... thanks for sharing this has been an incredible journey as i can see like you've seen right from you know when there were email there were mail sent to how we have the digital product space today and how the data has become a commodity uh in digital space today and talking about like a couple of organizations that you mentioned, Home Depot, TD, I've, I've had privilege to, you know, mm-hmm. work at these uh, great organizations and have heard, learned a lot. Uh, so when I came to Canada, TD, I joined TD and then followed by, by like Home Depot. And from my last four years journey in Canada, these two organizations have played a big part in, you know, what I've learned in, a, in my time in Canada. So thanks for sharing that. Uh, you mentioned about the portfolios that uh, you're leading at Staples and these are like massive critical portfolios. So it would be interesting to also know about some of the exciting things your teams uh, at Staples have been working on, especially in the digital product space and data analytics uh, and data science space.
0: Yeah, no, so hundred percent and a lot of credit goes to the team uh, that when I think about how they should be really proud and I'm proud of them, like during... They did a really quick re-platform um, post-acquisition. They moved to the Shopify Plus platform and they did that in, in a record-breaking layer or record uh, breaking time on boarding new vendors to supporting search and our PIM and everything else. Um, and then as they were coming out of that re-platform, as they were still stabilizing, well, the world decided to throw a pandemic there and this team took it with such strength and they managed increased volumes. And, and it's across the team, both from a digital stability standpoint to delivery. Like over the pandemic, they, the entire period of the pandemic, we we've, we've delivered over 14 million packages, uh, 14 million orders across the country. Like our network can do about 90% of the country next day delivery. And so we, we absorbed it and, we, and we, they, they, they took it like a champ. Um, so really great ability there. And I think one of those things, one of the big focal areas that we're doing now is kind of revisiting some of the fundamentals about the site. You know, when you're running so fast, it's kind of like a startup, you just boom, you're out of the gates, you make huge explosion, you get a good traction. But, you know, as you know, like we, we have um, really, uh, I would say industry leading conversion rates on our site, partly because we're a specialty player, but also because of some of the core products and services that we offer but there could always be better you know so we're we're refocusing and doubling down on fortification of our fundamentals and that's and you know, it's not as sexy like someone was telling me our head of product was telling me it's kind of kind of to use a contractor example it's it, it's the plumber and not the electrician because the electrician is the, the the they wear the gloves it's clean work you could have fancy smart led lights running a party in your basement but the plumber you got to go into, you get your hands dirty a little bit. And that's what we kind of need to do, like on-site search. How do we get into more of that and improve that? Recommendations. How do we improve that? And that's working in in large part with our data teams as well. We're now powering ML-driven out-of-stock recommendations. uh, Frequently bought together is also being powered by algorithms that our data science teams have have, uh, digested and recommended. And so, you know, really taking advantage of the traffic that we have, the engagement that we have from our B2B customers online in particular, and really going back to the fundamentals um, to squeeze those out. And then in that new areas is that we're reimagining our B2B space. So if you think about it, the B2B customer uh, spends more money with us, shops with us more frequently, has a higher AOV, how do we produce a more relevant experience for a B2B customer, right? And that's a big ask, right? From a B2C customer, you want to be as equalitarian to everyone with some personalization wherever once you know and once you're authenticated, you can track them. But a B2B customer, because of the added value and services that we do, they're willing to share more with us. How do I reward that trust by giving them a better experience? And so we're doing workshops now and we're we're trying to take the lens of, you know, this customer is an omni-customer. They don't just shop us online. They shop us in stores. They use our services. So we're bringing our partners from across the organization together to do visionary work, to say, like, what do we, what do these customers want? As we're migrating platforms, it's not just about a lift and shift of current features, but let's understand, like, what do people actually use? And what do they really want, wish we had that we don't have today? And so how can I reprioritize that and produce a better vision? And we did a little bit of that at Home Depot with a lot of success creating a B2B experience for our pros and contractors versus the regular DIYs. And so that's what we wanna try to focus on uh, in our product roadmaps here. And then when you think about data, so we talked a little bit of how it's already influencing priorities uh, on on the site and with recommendations, but really what we also wanna do is to build a unified customer view. The true nirvana that many talk about, right? We have, if today I participate and order a photo book from our services uh, uh, team, I buy something online, I'm a preferred member, you know, I do a special order. and So I'm like four or five different Andrews to the organization, right? And so pulling that data together back to fundamentals again, building that unified customer view, extracting the insights that are there so I can get deeper segmentation and then feeding into our marketing colleagues who can do stronger um, automation through customer flows and journeys, that's kind of a big priority for us on that end. And then the other side of it too, is just kind of um, doubling down on providing, uh, uh, from a data side, just cleanliness and governance, right? We, We have lots of different data sources and ensuring that, hey, what we're getting actually makes the most sense and that we use it responsibly, right? So lots of different pieces there because what we can find in in addition to marketing is that it can actually help our sales teams. You know, if I think about a traditional inside sales team, for example, right. So Rish, you know, we'll call you Rish, Rish Inc. Right. Maybe you have a a small bakery, right. So you're my customer. Traditional sales team, you'd be in my Rolodex, right. And Hey, every 11 weeks I'm going to call Rish, right. Just because it's, it's normal. Every 11 weeks I get a flag. I'm going down my list. I'm going to call you. Well, should I be calling you? Shouldn't I know more about you? What they many call like next gen sales. Like maybe you're a self-serve guy and you're like, just give me a functioning website with the product that's in stock at the right price and deliver when you say you will, I'm good, right? Some need more high touch. So why should I look at it in a very traditional set of like every 11 weeks, every 11 weeks, right? I can leverage data to understand this more. I can leverage the data that I've already captured and that you've either overtly shared with me or through your behaviors have shared with me that can help influence more. So maybe I can pipe some of that data that I know about you into the CRM system. So when the account manager is calling, hey, Rish, they wouldn't say it like this because it sounds kind of creepy, but they would know that hey, you opened the email yesterday for marketing, you click through the site, you browse, you spend you know a couple of minutes looking at you know hybrid you know work office setup. Uh, and you like some ergo chairs, but you didn't buy anything, maybe I come back. I already know who you are, Rish, office manager for Rich Inc., right? So maybe, hey, are you thinking about that? Are you are you looking at that? I know when you last purchased was, hey, by the way, you haven't purchased ink in a while. You know, as people are coming back into the office, do you need a top-up for your HP, whatever, whatever right? So it's understanding and unlocking the insights that are there, which would have traditionally just been, hey, Rish, it's 11 weeks, anything else I need? Right. So building more relevant connections again, and it, for me, it's going back to earning that trust that a customer gives you when they allow you the permission to contact them.
1: Right. Um. Uh, I think what you shared is, I, I have a follow-up question on that. Uh, so as, as you mentioned about last couple of years, how, you know, uh, the pandemic has changed behaviors of the consumers and also like uh. As we are enhancing our, our digital products or presence, uh, the behavior of consumers and the data that we had today about consumers have today about consumers is very different than what we would have, say, 10 years back, right? So what do you have seen, the changes in the consumer behavior, say, let's take last five years, and how do you think that has impacted our approach towards building these digital products, considering, you know we have a lot more data points now, uh, and the behavior has changed now.
0: Yeah, I would say uh, one of the big things is adoption has a, adoption to digital overall in every aspect of life has accelerated from consumer segment groups that may not have traditionally migrated there. Take a look at even grocery shopping. You know, if you how many people were buying groceries or, or tried to buy groceries online before the pandemic than during the pandemic and it wasn't just a one one dash right, you know. We were there not for six six months to build a habit. We were in pandemic. We're still in some shades of the pandemic for over two years now. And, And so you could build habits there. And it may not be you will always go digital shopping for some things like because you had to during the pandemic, but it'll be some kind of hybrid, much like the, the future of work, it was likely going to be more hybrid. And so, but that, that unlocked things. I can see it from my 82 year old father. He, he's changed some of his habits already that I would have never expected him to do. Like he loves buying stuff online now and getting delivered. Um, so one thing is just like the overall acceleration. The second part is through that acceleration, there's a, uh, customers' expectations have grown. Like competition has, has intensified. There's just more options out there. You know, with some of the, the great tools that are out there, small, medium businesses can compete with the big people, right? And, and they can get out there and, and really tell their story and their reason to win a customer. And so that has become, competition has intensified. And with every experience, you know, customers don't necessarily rate that last experience for your segment anymore. You know, if I think about it, if we had a very um, frictionful experience to pick up a BOPUS order, right? But right before I go to pick up a BOPUS order, I went to Starbucks and I ordered on my app and I picked up the coffee by walking in and picking it up. Well, that's just like the most frictionless experience tied to something that's really painful. I'm going to associate like, wow, why can't these people get it right? Right. And so you're now being compared even more so to others that may or may not be direct competitors, but customers expectations have just accelerated. So really, what I take away from it and what we we talk to our teams is like, you just can't be complacent. Like there's no room for that anymore. The best experience isn't just our direct competitor. Our best experience is the last best experience this customer has received. Right. And, and so therefore it is, it holds that bar really high. It's somewhat aspirational, but you got to, you got to reach bigger, right? Otherwise you get into a silo where are just looking at, you know, there's a, there, there's a Chinese proverb where it's like, you're the frog in the well. Yeah, hey, you're high-fiving yourself because you think you're awesome in your tent. Right. But it's, 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 it's not right. Your world, the world of the consumer is so much broader now. And so it's acknowledging. that.
1: Right. And you mentioned about the last experience of the consumer making that uh, great, and that's what they're going to recall, right? So it uh, puts more emphasis on, you know, how you build your uh, digital products, uh, how, what you think when you're building your digital products and emphasis on what makes my product great. Uh, maybe my product is great today. It may not be great tomorrow uh, as things would change. So in what do you think makes a product great?
0: I think it's the ability to know your customer so it's, it's customer centric uh it is something that you can identify throughout a customer journey uh, that you can remove friction and the best is when you can remove friction that a customer didn't even realize they had because i think then you really produce genuine moments of joy you know you, you think who's who's done a really great job with that and that so much so that their name has become a part of common verna- our common language and jargon is uber right when you, if you had to travel for a business before you get a cab you have to wait. One, you're in the cab. Depending where you are, if you're not familiar, it's like, is this is this not to say that um, cab drivers are unethical, but you know, there's some out there who would take advantage. You're a foreigner. I'm going to take you on the really long rude road, road to get to your destination and charge up the the meter, right? And then I have to get a receipt, make sure I don't re- lose the receipt because I got to file expenses. Maybe I need to look for cash, and I like digging up for cash I'll, Think about that Uber experience. I know exactly. It's the most, it's the most direct way. It's safe. If I needed to do anything, it's a cashless experience. It's all done through the app already. And you know, I can get the email receipt for expenses. So I don't have to do anything. It solves so many things that if I were to engineer, I don't know if I would have thought of all those things as a customer. Did I really need that? And it offsets like, do I want to get in some stranger's car? I don't know. But it's actually worked. So sometimes the best products are, you know, I, I think often it's managing the experience. You know, it's, it's really much experience. And like many people say, hey, we should all be tech companies or we should all be data companies. I think we should all be experienced companies, right? And then how do you remove friction from that? I think that's what ultimately, if you if you follow that, it leads to great products, which, you know, will create a stickiness factor that sets you apart from competition.
1: Yeah. Um- you mentioned about uh, experience product so i I'll, I'll rather use experience product rather than a digital product because i think that definitely makes much more sense and build, building any and uh, experience product or launching any experience product is not a simple process as we know by any standard it's complex requires multiple partners to come together work as a team for example you know technology engineering teams data teams leadership marketing all these different teams have to come together and, you know, to produce this great uh, experience product in order to be successful and solve consumer problems. Uh, how do you ensure they are all aligned with the experience vision or the product vision, and the overarching goals of the company or the leadership?
0: Yeah, so I think it's a great point. And it's truly where a lot of um, breakdown happens, right? It, it, it's when you don't have alignment and you don't have the resolve to see things through because you may have initial alignment, but you know, often with pre- product development, it, it takes longer than what one might expect. And there, you may come up with phases or MVP uh, product first. So it's not the perfect solution and people get disheartened like, well, that's not what I aligned to, but it takes time. And, and so negotiating, what the expectations are and key milestones is very important but for me one of the big things is like ensuring that anything that's being built is aligned right from the get-go to support the priorities of the organization if if i have priorities and objectives for my year in 2022 and those get just cascaded to my direct reports which you know, flesh them out and then go to their direct reports and therefore and so on and so forth like every person should just kind of see how it all ladders back up to our, our top of the house, what we're committing to our customers, our associates, and our stakeholders. And so there's that common alignment there. You can then use that alignment with your cross-functional partners and say, here's something that's very aligned and what we need to win, but I don't want to do it alone, right? I can build in a silo, but the world is no longer siloed. So let let's, let's, let's align. I'm not gonna tell you, here's what my vision is. Let's build this together. And so having workshops together and having cross-functional squads to actually kind of ensure that what we're building out doesn't just solve a digital need, but solves the enterprise need. And then you have the regular cadence of check-ins, adding the proper process with with consistent updates, with with, um, uh, the deliverables, the celebrating, being transparent about when things go awry, because I think that's a natural part of it. Roadblocks and being again having to resolve when competing priorities come up, which they always will, like, to ensure that there's a mechanism to 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 assess and entertain them and then determine the next best path. But that's done in conjunction. I think there's many product teams that work too much in isolation. And when I think about product, you know, if I get a little geeky, and you think about a Venn diagram, right? Each circle to Venn diagram, one I always think it's like the classic, the customer the other one is the business, and the other side is the technology. And product managers, great product managers, sit in that, that the confluence of the three because they can translate the needs to all the other stakeholders, and they know how to bring in others to the table to ensure that you never lose sight in the the, the, the voice of the customer, so you have that North Star.
1: Yeah, rightly defined uh, product manager in the form of a Venn diagram. Um, I want to focus on one of the teams, which is the data, or the data pillar of uh, of uh, building a product. Uh, data is considered as new goal uh, in today's world, as we know. And it's very important for any organizations to have a well-developed data strategy. And as, as your role in Staples, I think that's one of the big pillars uh, that you're leading on the data strategy part. Uh, so can you share, like, what's the framework you think is a successful framework for building a data strategy? and what key pillars uh, needs to be there for a successful data strategy?
0: Yeah, no, it, it's, that's a great question, right? And you know, part of it is thinking through um, taking stock of what you've got, right? I, I think unless you're truly starting from zero, data exists everywhere in the organization and it's being used uh, sometimes to its full potential and sometimes not, right? And often in many organizations that I've encountered, it sits in silos. So one is kind of taking stock, how uh, understanding what's available, how people are using it, how would they like to use it, you know, and then then you get its framework of where the, the lay of the land is today. But then it's it's also coming, how do you pull that data together, democratizing that data for, for users? And it's defining the types of users. Some users will be self-serve reporting, you know, whether you use Looker, you know, Power BI, you know, Tableau, and, you know, it's just simple uh, extracts of information and some of them will be heavy users right you know we're going to mine this data look for insights create uh, meaningful applications that can be automated that can help solutions but first of it is kind of pooling it together into a common structure and then defining who your segmented users are and then then ensuring that the the data is typed and governed in a right way right because you want to make sure that it's not getting corrupted or being misinterpreted but then it's just then feeding and unlocking use cases, right? uh, For different customer groups. And again, it goes back to the different sophistication of of those segments. Um, And so I think that that's kind of the basic side. And then you'd have the teams, you know, I, I think often they need they get People don't know what, what to do with the data. It's gold, but you know, you know, I can hoard gold under my bed, but I don't know what to necessarily do with it, right? It's until you show like, oh, I can use this to transact and buy things or I can melt it down for jewelry or whatever. So once the people start getting an idea of what you can actually do with that goal, uh, then, then it becomes a whole way of like, how do you put in the prioritization framework? Much like product management. Like I, I've told some of our data scientists, like you're, you're one of the best kept secrets for now, but it won't be as we continue to evangelize all the great work that's unlocked these automated things that you've done whether it's to help online experiences empower sales teams push out relevant marketing like where it's going to get out right you're, you're going to help our supply chain colleagues determine where we should be storing inventory in advance by geography by seasonality how, where we should be pushing inventory in advance of where the demand is going to be because of historical data and transactions factored in with new influences that's going to get up it'll get to a point where there's so many people knocking at your door one of your hardest challenges will be prioritization and saying no right
1: Uh, so one of the team which is melting this gold and putting it to the best use is the data science uh, team and uh, you mentioned about customer experience earlier when we were discussing it so i'm going to marry these two together Uh, so data science team their role has become even more important in today's digital you know world uh, especially in the retail world you know where we see consumer behaviors have been changing quite often and sometimes it is driven by factors which is not even our under our control so like pandemic hit the behavior changed uh, and obviously people were getting digital but this was like steep change in the behavior of the consumers so what are your expectations of the data science team and their role in meeting your ultimate goal of delivering seamless customer experience?
0: Uh, it, it's uh, the data science team, it, it's, I don't know, it, it's a little bit like they're magicians, right? At first it's, it feels like it's black box, mystical arts. Like you don't really understand it. You don't know how it gets there. You, you see all this, like these actions and like one of the things that we're able to do is our teams have driven over a hundred different key metrics. Um, and we've taken that, that, that list of metrics. And we look at shoppers on staples.ca, and we run them through this kind of gauntlet. And we say, you know what, we're going to score you whether or not you're a small business or not, or you're a business customer or not, you know, when you buy, you know, what are you buying? Like how frequently you buy. And, and so we'll score you and then we'll give it to our account management teams on the sales side. And they'll call you and say, Hey, Rish, I think your business would you like, and the accuracy is amazing. So, Initially, our, our sales seems like, this is black magic. How, how, how do you know this, right? How do you know with such certainty that this, this customer is a business? Because they're registering as Andrew Go. They're not registering as Go Inc., right? Like, and so it's not as obvious. But So it's really powerful in that way. So it's almost like an enlightener and a guide. It's an art and a science. You know, literally, data science is providing more weight to the science side so we can actually work smarter, not harder, right? And so putting our efforts and calories into areas that, you know, solving problems that, you know, are known, but also uncovering things through that discovery. And, and, you know, what I think great data scientists do, it's not just like arbitrarily, you've given me a problem to solve this problem. Data scientists will actually sit with you. Like, let's just, let's have a little consult. Like, what do you, what do you really, what, what, you know, it's almost like those questions, like, why do you want that? And then asking the why and the why and the why and why. Like, ah, so now I know you really want this. You, You thought you wanted that, but this is what you, this is what you really want. And so therefore I can go take that back and digest and I will find the voice of the customer and what we can do and activate from that voice of the customer without the customer actually Overtly calling me and telling me, right. And so I think that's a really powerful role that data scientists can actually play, right? And just ensuring that we're working as efficiently as, as possible, but also identifying new opportunities through what's available from customers, what they've shared with us, and and then building out the activation of that.
1: Yeah, I also see them as someone who speaks multiple languages, so. If yeah. you're stuck, uh, they come and speak with you in a business language, trying to understand what we're trying to solve. Uh, and they, in technology terms, when they, you know, think about technology solutions. So incredible team of magicians. Uh, and you have had a lot of experience in building uh, this team of magicians. So what do you think is, has been the most challenging part of building uh, this data science or generally a data science team?
0: I don't know any industry that's not trying to hire data scientists. Like, you know, the, during the pandemic, the great resignation, you know, hybrid work, different kinds of opportunities for people to kind of assess and feel connected with organizations, like it's a hot market. Um, and, you know, I think we have an incredible story at Stables. and I've met with associates coast to coast, as well as on our own digital team remotely. And it's exciting and having the opportunity to share that excitement and the narrative that we're going uh, I, I I cherish, but it's not always easy. Right? Data scientists are being pursued by TD, by Home Depot, by Roger. That aspect of it. And then even when the talent is there, um, you, it's it's ensuring that between the stake and the sizzle, right? Like, are you a senior data scientist? Are you a manager? Like, what level of data scientist are you? Because now it's just like it's a title, but can you really deliver? Or and and in, if you're earlier in your career, it's okay. We can mentor and we can. But let, let's just be transparent so we know what we're getting. And I think it's also one of those things um, where I have found when we we're building, it's finding the right cultural fit. You know, I, I think um, by nature, data scientists are incredibly intelligent, right? But do, do they have the EQ and cultural side to blend in with a team, right? And, and uh, we've been very fortunate, the lows that we have found on, on our teams in the past have are incredibly humble and have worked with our culture and want to grow with us and can see the path forward but it's not always the case I've interviewed some that's just like mm, a, a little bit of an ego on you right like but uh, and I don't know like I've passed up candidates who I'm sure are amazing have gone on to do great things but it's a cultural thing right where it's just like I got, we, we have to make sure that they can see and, and engage and thrive in the culture that we have.
1: You mentioned about some great work the teams at Staples are doing. So I wanna ask like, what are you most excited for at Staples? And also if you can share the growth plan that uh, we have for the product and the data science team at Staples.
0: Yeah, I know, I continue to be excited about uh, the opportunities transforming Staples um, into the working learning company and unlocking that, uh, all the potential there. You know, I think about, I mentioned earlier, it's kind of like a 30-year-old startup, right? There's that excitement level. There's processes that need to be put in place. We've been wildly successful. In some cases, I would say, honestly, despite ourselves, without the best tools, but we have investment and commitment from our shareholders, and we're investing a ton into, again, back supply chain, digital data you know, unlocking those opportunities. I think we're just on the cusp of it, right? we, um, so I think it, it's really good building. We're we're we're, just, we're accelerating our growth on both the product and on the data teams uh, on both sides because we truly see them as enterprise needs, right? And we want to be supporting all of Staples. So on a product side, how can we product in UX? How do we help influence and create a more seamless experience, a frictionless experience across the various Uh, digital properties and in-store properties in that experience from a data science perspective it's a relatively new discipline I'm the first chief data officer for the company and so how do we actually move towards getting that unified customer view moving towards that shared infrastructure moving towards unlocking and democratizing that data that's all that's all in the roadmap ahead of us so we've got the commitment we've got the support and we've got the vision uh, now we're just looking for more to join in this, this incredible journey as we continue growing and evolving ourselves.
1: Yeah, we're incredibly excited uh, for Staples 2 and also experiencing some of the great products we're going to put out there as consumers uh, and also you know have uh, some fantastic consumer experience. Uh, and before we leave, Andrew, uh, one life lesson that you would like to share from your experiences with our community. Yeah,
0: I've I've had this lesson from my father since I was young, uh, partly from his own life experience, but it was always to be humble, but not timid. And, you know, when I unpack that for for me now and how it's continued to remain relevant over the 20 years I've been working and what I'm sure another 20, 30 years beyond, it's, you know, being humble gives you that gratitude of being able to work with amazing people, that it's not just one person's efforts alone that drive the success. I I feel like I've been very blessed in my career and I've had a lot of success, but it's because of the people I've gotten the chance to work with. So I feel incredibly lucky for that. So being humble in that sense, I think, is really good. You don't always have to be in every room trying to prove how smart you are or speak the loudest. It's really being there to support and drive to a broader goal and you bring people along with you now the, the 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 combination of that is like not being timid because i think it is one of those places where you know i spoke earlier about di right which is a huge passion point for me but it's ensuring that you're not bullied or pushed over and also being there to have that voice you know we are all granted a voice and even if you're an introvert or an extrovert it doesn't really matter But at times you have to be able to stand tall, to speak up, speak up for yourself and speak up for those who don't have a voice or feel they can't use that voice. And so in times where we, we still face ignorance and discrimination, like it is so important for all of us to actually be able to not be timid, to take up and speak for others that you work with as well as our customers, right? Like often cases like we, we, we may do things and we may compromise on our values as a result of others being in a room, being more brash or louder, but it's like, no, I'm not going to be timid. I am going to step forward because I feel strongly in the convictions and what's driving them. And so I think that's a really important. So when I think back, it's like you know, being humble, but not timid, right? Because the two are not the same.
1: Thanks for sharing this wonderful message. Uh, I really connect, connected with it so well, especially on the DEI front as well. Uh, And uh, I would like to thank you, Andrew, for being with us today and sharing your incredible experience. And before we leave, uh, so where can people find and connect with you? And also, uh, if you have any message for people who are looking to join your dynamic team uh, for product management or even for data science analytics opportunities.
0: Yeah, I know, 100%. You, the easiest way to find me is on LinkedIn, just ping me. And it, if you are in the opportunities, you want to connect or you're looking at uh, exploring kind of the narrative, we share all our roles on LinkedIn as well. But I, I promote the roles uh, specifically in those product management and uh, data science areas directly. So follow me there. But uh yeah, I love to connect with people. This has been an amazing conversation. I appreciate the invite, Rish, uh, being able to, to speak with you and share some of my background and learning from some of your perspective. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, it, it's been great.
1: Thank you. Uh, it was incredible, Andrew. And many thanks everyone for tuning in today. If you know someone who you think we should interview, or if you would like to connect with me, drop me a line on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. I hope you have an amazing day. Stay happy, stay healthy, and be inspired.